Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Politics and Religion. My name is Rand, if, uh, if I haven't met you in person. Co-leading with me again is Chris Lee. Um, today is part three, where we tackle the very controversial topic of police and systemic racism. I wish that would just be a boring conversation that, uh, that nobody is thinking about, but uh, it's exploded into a gigantic argument uh, in, our, in our day and age. Uh, and so if you, if you would please have a pen and paper ready so that um, before we go into breakout rooms and stuff, you can kind of jot some thoughts down so that once you move into the breakout rooms, you're ready to discuss what you've written down, right? So just anything to just scratch a piece of paper, napkin, doesn't matter. You can write on your phone if you've got a, a stylus or an S pen or something like that. Marcus is using an asparagus, is it? What is that? It's Oh, it's a pen, I guess. Okay. Uh, before we do that, I want to restate our purposes real quick. Um, I do want to remind everybody that um, uh, that we have uh, three three easy ways to, I guess, uh, uh, simplify our aim with uh, w- with these discussions. The first one is just from Isaiah fifty five eight, which is uh, where God says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, and that's that's really just to remind us that God is wiser than we are. God's opinions are uh, are, are are more accurate and uh, and more prudent than ours. And so we want our political opinions to be derived from biblical principles, not not just personal opinions, not pragmatism, and certainly not worldly wisdom, because they are not the same thing. Uh, a second idea comes from First Peter three fifteen, which we've looked at before. Um, but it says, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ as, uh, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And the reason why we look at that is because if we're supposed to be disciplined enough to uh, share the gospel... Uh, with gentleness and respect, certainly we can talk about politics with gentleness and respect. Our, our position on politics should really just be, uh, I guess, the overflow or the, the, the consequence of our, uh, our faith in Jesus and our trust in the gospel, right? Our third idea comes from John 15, 18, is a good place to point out. It says, if the world hates you, uh, know that, uh, that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20 says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If if they kept uh, my word, they will also keep yours. And what Jesus is saying there is uh, the gospel is not popular. Being Christian is not popular. Following Jesus is not popular. Look what they did to Jesus. So what do you think they'll do to you if you represent him the right way? That doesn't mean try to be contrarian and try to get everyone to hate you. That's not it. It's just that if you follow Jesus, you can expect that there will be some people that will get upset. Now, that being said, even among Christians, there's often disagreement. Um, just because we all call ourselves Christians doesn't mean that we all end up on the same political lines. Uh, everyone, everyone that's in the conversation, you know, that calls themselves Christians, not all of them are Christians, right? And even when you come to the ones that are actually Christians, the one who actually uh, sincerely have uh, given their their hearts to Jesus. Uh, not all actual Christians are adequately trained in the Bible on these subjects uh, sufficiently to know everything that God says in relation to these topics. You know, 
So you don't always get the same amount of training. You don't always get the same amount of even regard for the word. Some Christians hold the word very highly. Others don't. And that doesn't mean they're not saved. It's just in a different part of their journey, uh, possibly. Even then, um, when you have adequately trained Christians who are uh, theologically adept or, or biblically versed, um, they're not all equally good at articulating and defending their own positions, nor are they equally good at understanding and evaluating other people's positions. And so, you know, you get a whole lot of variables into the mix. And of course, much of politics is predicated on our hunches, right? When we say, like, go ahead and solve the money problem for uh, for Jane Doe, you know, like she, she comes out short a few hundred dollars every month. What do you do? And everyone thinks of a solution like, oh, we should... Uh, increase taxes on the rich, or we should increase taxes on everybody, or we should cut funding to the military, or we should, you know, and everybody has all these different proposed solutions, because in their mind, they just think, the solution I thought of is magically going to work, it'll solve the problem, and it won't cause more problems, and it won't cause worse problems. You know, because a, a lot of what we do, we we have to kind of do guesswork here. And so not everyone's going to make the same guesses. Uh, and the result is that people who call themselves Christians and are Christians even if they're trained biblically and stuff, don't always come out to the same uh, the same political sides. And so uh, it's very likely tonight, especially as we deal with the very fragile topic of, uh, of police and systemic racism, it's very likely that we'll see differing positions among, uh, among ourselves. But our hope, of course, is that each of us uh, holds our own position because sincerely you just believe... Uh, in your heart that based on what you know right now, that your position is the most obedient and honoring to Christ Jesus as Lord, right? So with that, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Chris and he's going to launch us off into, uh, I guess, our our, uh, our walking into the deep end of the pool here. So Chris. All right. So uh, like I said earlier, uh, today is going to be very um, out, uh, was it breakout room uh, focused? And so with that, we are going to go into uh, our meat of the discussion for our first breakout room. Now, um, the first breakout room is going to, uh, go- going to consist of time where we are going to discuss four very well-known nationally uh, cases that have erupted uh, in these past uh, six months. All right. So um, if you guys uh, are taking notes, I'm going to just do my best to uh, state simply the facts of what have happened in these cases. And then we're going to go ahead and go off to the first breakout room. All right. So we're going to go in chronological order. Uh, the very first uh, instance we are going to talk about is the uh, instance uh, involving the death of Brianna Taylor. Brianna Taylor uh, was a 26-year-old uh, girl. She lived in Louisville, Kentucky. And on March 13th, uh, three police officers executed a no-knock warrant at Taylor's home. The police charged in, fearing that uh, this was a break-in. Um, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, uh, and they were at bed at the time. It was past midnight. Uh, asked who was there. Fired off one round from his gun that he legally owns. That bu- one, uh, that bullet actually hits one of the three officers in the leg. The officers return fire, firing twenty rounds into the apartment, and five of those uh, shots hit Brianna Taylor. Uh, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, is not hit once. Um, and for two months, actually, so this occurred in March thir- on March 13th, but for two months, this case wasn't a big deal. It wasn't done nationally. The things that were 
portrayed about this uh, in the news was that a cop was shot. And so the way the story was out for the first two months afterwards was that um, some someone shot a cop and clearly you know, that person was in the wrong. Then two months after uh, the case, um, some more uh, national media picks up on the fact that uh, certain things don't line up and they find that um, they find a few uh, issues that are con- uh, concerning. Uh, one, that they were um, looking into and e- exercising this warrant based off of a suspicion of Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend, who she had not um, associated with for about two months at the time. But they uh, went in on suspects of that home being a place where drugs were um, sold. Uh, but the boyfriend was that former boyfriend was not at the home and actually at that time he was already detained uh, he was currently in uh, prison um the oh and then uh, they also found that one of the officers for a very egregious break of um the policies in regards to how to fire or how to dis- disarm your uh, firearm uh he shot blindly into the house without visual confirmation uh, he was responsible for, responsible for 10 of the 20 rounds, and he was fired. Uh, I mean, that that's what he was fired for, for egregious uh, violation of, of uh, protocol in regards to disarming your firearm. Uh, Louisville, the city, has agreed to pay $12 million to Breonna Taylor's family, uh, and they charge it as a wrongful death. However, no criminal charges yet have been made against any of the three officers. The only repercussions has been the case that one of the three officers has lost his job. And then, um, oh, uh, repercussion-wise, um, the no-knock warrants are no longer allowed in the entire state of Kentucky. They got rid of um, the no-knock warrant even existing. And the no-knock warrant is you're able to barge into a home, no-knocking. Um, that doesn't mean you cannot identify yourself as police. You must identify yourself as police. But there's no, um, basically, you don't need to knock. Uh, so that is no longer um, allowed in the state. And, oh, and currently uh, there is a trial going on. And uh, the um, city of Louisville has declared a state of emergency as they are preparing to uh, deliver their ruling on the case in regards to what they're going to do with the policemen involved. And they are concerned that whatever the results of this case may be, and it's they believe that they're going to find the ruling within this week. Uh, they want to make sure that uh, the people are ready in case, you know, the streets um, are, you know, they start to protest yet again. So that is uh, all the factual information involved with the Breonna Taylor case. Um, oh, and then also the police chief of uh, Louisville, he was fired. Um, so there was another job lost as well. All right, so the next case, chronologically, is on May 25th, uh, George Floyd, a 46-year-old man in Minneapolis. Um, so the police were called because uh, he was suspected of using a fake $20 bill at a convenience store. So two police officers responded to the call. Uh, they saw George Floyd in, in his vehicle with two other passengers. Uh, they asked him to keep his hand on the wheel, but he was acting a little erratic. And so they uh, drew their weapons. Or one, one officer unholstered, unholstered his gun and demanded that he keep his hands on the wheel. Uh, he was then removed from his car and handcuffed. 
Uh, two more officers showed up as backup, and as Floyd was being apprehended, he told the police officers that he was claustrophobic and he needs uh, to catch his breath. He was having a tr- hard time breathing. Uh, he is then forced into the back of a, pat- of a patrol vehicle. Uh, he is struggling in the sense that it is difficult for him to get in because he repeatedly mentions that he is claustrophobic and is having a hard time breathing. So a police officer comes on the other side and uh, an officer pushes him into the door while another officer pulls. As they're doing so, he falls through um, the entire vehicle, which is how he ends up on the floor. As he's on the floor, they see him as they see him as someone who is resist- resisting and struggling, and so they uh, are they end up on top of him. Uh, the, and, and Officer Derek Chauvin specifically, uh, he is a person of notice because he is the one that places his knee on the back of Floyd's neck and uh, keeps it there for eight minutes and forty six seconds. Um, he is actually asked by one of the officers about five minutes in, saying he's no longer moving. Should we check a pulse? And he, he does not respond to that. Um, after he gets up, no pulse is uh, located, and all four officers since have been fired and charged with crimes involved with second-degree murder, and the, Minip- the Minneapolis police chief has also resigned. So that was on May 25th. Uh, on June 12th, uh, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, a 27-year-old man. Um, so this is the case where uh, a man fell asleep while in the drive through of a Wendy's. And so an officer is dispatched to Wendy's by a Wendy's employee, telling them that there's a car in the parking lot that is not moving, uh, in, in the driveway that is not moving. So uh, the uh, one police officer comes to the door, sees that um, he is asleep, wakes him up, and asks him to park uh, in the parking lot at the Wendy's. Uh, as um, this officer uh, is questioning him, uh, he calls uh, another officer for backup that has more experience that is able to conduct a sobriety test. So this first officer was not able to conduct a sobriety test. And so he called the second officer and uh, he takes the sobriety test, fails. Now, from the time that he's uh, first seen to this time, there's been 40 minutes that have passed. And so um, as he fails the sobriety test, the officers up to this point have been uh, following protocol, letting him know what they're going to do before they do it and the like. And he seems to uh, be alert enough to respond, even though he is clearly inebriated and he, he admits that he has had, um, he has had alcohol. Uh, as they come, to come around to handcuff him, he resists. There is a struggle. And the struggle leads to uh, Rayshard Brooks actually taking one of the officer's tasers. So the taser uh, of one of the officers who uh, he pulls it out to use it on Brooks, he's able to uh, dispossess that taser. And then as he struggles, he is able to shoot one of the officers with a taser and run. So he's running. The, the second officer, and the second officer is the one that was also called in with more experience that is able to conduct a sobriety test. He runs after Brooks and with his taser that he has not yet shot, fires and actually hits Brooks once. Then, uh, but even though he's hit, he's still running. Um, and as he turns, uh, as he continues to run, Rayshard Brooks actually turns around and fires the taser that he already shot the first officer with again. However, these tasers 
Uh, they only have two um, darts. And so effectively he is disarmed. He does not have anything to shoot because he was shot once and then he stole it and then shot that first officer. And then he's running with a completely used up taser. So as he's running away, he turns and attempts to fire an, an unfireable taser. When the second officer that's chasing him sees this, he drops his own taser, picks up his handgun, shoots three rounds, hits Rayshard Brooks twice. One of the bullets actually hits a car in the drive-thru. And no one was hurt in that car, but there were passengers in that car, but it was hit near the trunk of the car. Okay. Um, the repercussions of this is that this officer that shot the second officer, his name is Officer Rolf. Uh, he is charged with felonious murder. Uh, the second officer is charged with aggravated assault. And the Atlanta police chief has resigned after uh, this incident. And then the last issue we're going to talk about is with Jacob Blake. So Jacob Blake, this is very recent. Uh, August 23rd. Jacob Blake is a 29-year-old man from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, so on August 23rd, a woman claiming to be Blake's girlfriend calls in 911 reporting that there's a man named Jacob Blake that he shouldn't be there and he has stolen her keys. So three officers arrive at the scene and the man is arrested. Now, the person that called again is is uh, known to be uh, Jacob Blake's girlfriend. Um, and the officers are on there at the time when they are, when they come, they are unaware of who Jacob Blake is. Okay. Uh, they actually have on record that they ask, Oh, what does he look like? And the dispatcher is unable to identify anything in regards to, um, what he looks like other than his age. Uh, so the man, uh, is then arrested, uh, on suspicion of, you know, being somewhere where he's not supposed to be, but a struggle ensues. Uh, a taser is recorded to have been fired at Blake. It's unknown whether he is hit or it, it hasn't effectively worked or we don't know, but a taser was shot. You also uh, can hear on the videos that have been public that the cops believe J uh, Jacob Blake to have a knife on him. But Blake is able to get out of the scramble and walk away from the police officers towards his vehicle. As he's walking towards his vehicle, uh, two of the police officers actually follow him and tell him to get on the ground and to stop moving. Uh, unfortunately, he does not. He continues walking to his car and comes, comes all the way around his car to his driver's side door. And as soon as he opens his driver's side door and leans in, one of the police officers fires seven rounds and uh all seven rounds hit Jacob Blake. And if you're aware of the situation currently, Jacob Blake uh, has been paralyzed from the waist down. Um, all officers involved, all three officers have been placed on administrative leave uh, currently. And an investigation is still going on because we uh, cannot say for certain what exactly uh, went down in terms of the order of events because the only... Um, the only thing we have to go on are the reports from the officers as well as footage from neighbors. Uh, officers in Kenosha, Wisconsin do not wear body cams. And so uh, witnesses claim that Blake, witnesses as in people around the neighborhood, they claim that Blake was breaking up um, an argument amongst some people in the neighborhood. And then the police claim that, you know, he had a knife and they did find a knife in 
the driver's side door on the floorboard. And so these are the four uh, cases that have gained national attention. Um, I've, I've done what I can to just simply portray out the facts of what's going on here. And so in our first breakout room, what we are going to do is we want to be able to discuss each case based on the things that you know. Is there someone that was in the wrong? Is there someone that is guilty of crimes? Is there someone that is innocent and is, clear, is only a victim? Um, so with this first time, we're going to actually be giving you guys 20 minutes. So it's an extended period of time to discuss. I know there's a lot to talk about here. And these are all things that you guys have, all stories and cases that you guys have probably uh, been made aware of. So go ahead and discuss um, what you believe uh, occurred, who was in the wrong, what crimes were committed, if anyone did commit crimes. And let's do this. Uh, for the sake of ease in terms of order, let's do uh, whoever is um, alphabetically last in the group, you will... Uh, Go first, as well as be the moderator for the conversation. Anything to, anything to add, Rand? Uh, and uh, during your breakout room, uh, when everyone is sharing their, their opinions and stuff, go ahead and write it down right now. Take, like, you know, maybe a good 15, 20 seconds if you haven't been already writing. But um, make sure that you're not interrupting one another. Uh, at least during the first pass-through, everyone should be able to give a full explanation and everyone gets to turn on their listening mode, right? And then uh, after that, moderator, you can open up to, you know, to discussion and stuff, um, and you can bounce back and forth. Uh, this is this is kind of where you practice um, being able to articulate your position and hear and evaluate other people's positions and to keep it gentle and respectful. And so, good luck with that. John Wood will uh, will. Uh, push you out into breakout rooms after after a few seconds to give you some time to jot down your thoughts. Remember again that the question that you're going to be discussing is for each of these cases, based on what you know, who is in the wrong and why? Okay, good luck. Okay, welcome back everyone from your breakout discussions. Um, I'm curious, uh, Chris and I were, were discussing just saying uh, we're wondering whether or not the breakout rooms had uh, had very divided opinions, or if there were rooms that everyone just agreed on everything and stuff. So you're welcome to post into the chat if you want to, um, but uh, but you don't have to. No pressure. Or maybe uh, instead of on the chat, since that'll disappear, um, we can talk about that kind of stuff on our Facebook group, where uh, just find the unit and um, play some comments and things. Well, how do you think biblically through this, right? The issue of racism and policing, um, because the question becomes like, what are police allowed to do? And, you know, just, uh, what, what kind of laws are we supposed to have in order to prevent, uh, tragedies like this from happening? Or were they completely justified in, in what they did? Like nothing went wrong. Well, you know, there, there's a lot to, to think through on that. Now, talking about racism, um, Biblically, that, that's, that's easy to, to, um, to talk about because, uh, well, all human beings are created in God's image, um, and that makes them equal in value, which is why, uh, even though racism happens in the Bible, it's not endorsed. You know, it's not, you're not supposed to be racist. And, uh, your, your only real exception to that might be between, uh, Israel's laws and the Gentiles, because Gentiles were, uh, you know, they were not, a God's covenant people, 
And so that was more based on their faith rather than on their race, because Gentile people were allowed to become proselyte Jews, you know, to convert to Judaism, and then they would be uh, they'd be brought into the people. So, the you know, uh, racism itself uh, to discriminate or to to hate based on ethnicity is is never endorsed in the Bible. Um, and we have to keep in mind things like you know how um, how God is is uh, building a kingdom that's comprised of people from all tribes and tongues and nations, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the gospel itself, we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. So racism isn't really uh, the big question um, if you're if you're a believer. There are certain strands of, of uh, church-going people that might still hold to racism and, and call themselves Christians, but that's that's very much more the fringe. The, um, the evangelical core understands that God has a heart for all people. Um, and he wants them to be saved. Well, policing is different because the Bible is not an instruction manual on how to run law enforcement in in your government. That's not why the Bible was written. That wasn't the, the issue that it was concerned about. And so we have to piece together the, uh, the principles and try to figure out what our opinion is on some of this stuff. Um, and I think the like the easy way to, to go about this might be with uh, with three basic passages. Okay. The, the first one just comes from first Peter two thirteen, and that says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors uh, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And I always have to point out whenever, whenever we get a, a passage like this, where Peter's talking or when Paul is, is writing, uh, they're they're writing during a time when the government was actively oppressing and persecuting Christianity. Peter is writing at a time where it was life-threatening to be a Christian, and he's saying be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Now, it, this is basically the uh, uh, a situation much like North Korea, you know, where they had Caesar in charge and Caesar was uh, was in full authority to do whatever he wanted. And uh, the instruction to the Christians is to is to be subject to, the, uh, to these authorities. Um, that Romans 13 is the passage we've looked at before, which is just, you know, submit yourself to the, the government, um, pay your taxes. The, the government is God's avenger. He, he uh, or the government is ordained by God to uh, to punish evil, etc., so that's that's the first idea. You always need to be submissive to uh, the government. And when you think about uh, when the police are exercising their authority in an unjust way, you really have to go to uh, the best example of that when it happens in the Bible, which is when the guards, the police, are going to come and arrest Jesus. Uh, and in that moment, it was an unjust arrest because... They were gonna. Uh, they were gonna arrest him for doing nothing criminal. He didn't actually do anything wrong. There was there was no reason for him to uh, to be arrested. And so one of his disciples, namely Simon Peter, uh, pulls out his sword and cuts off uh, the ear of another guard. He wasn't going for the ear. He was probably going for the head. But uh, you know. But he 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 only ends up cutting off the ear. Um, and so here's Jesus's response in Matthew 26 verse 52. It says, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 
And this is a really interesting uh, response from Jesus because he's saying, uh, first, uh, don't resort to violence. Why would you do that? Second, he's like, if I wanted to use violence, I would use violence. I don't need you to do that for me. I don't need you to do that in my name, right? If, if I want to bring down legions of angels, I can do that. And then he goes on to say that I need to be arrested because this is to fulfill prophecy. But these, these reasons that he's giving here in verses 52 and 53 is that uh, violence is not, uh, is not the, the means by which he wants us to respond. Uh, in fact, if you look in the other Gospels, he says those who live by the sword die by the sword, right? His, his whole point is, is that the violence just begets more violence. It escalates the situation. And so don't resort to that. And that should be pretty informative for us. Uh, when it comes to things like riots, protests is one thing. That's peaceful protest, and that's actually legal in certain contexts. But when it turns into riots, and when it turns into uh, attacking the police and stuff, then uh, then we're we're trying to sidestep this this portion of scripture here, where it says to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, you know, to submit to the authorities over us, etc. Now, what do you do though when um, you know when when the government starts to say things like uh, you can't, uh, you can't worship, you can't, uh, you can't uh, believe in Jesus, you know, and when, when it tries to do stuff like that, then who do you, do you submit to government and then stop believing in Jesus? And now you're not commanded to submit to government anymore because that only came from you believing in Jesus. And, you know, so how do you, how do you deal with that? And that really comes down to Acts chapter five, verse 29, which is a great uh, moment where the apostles uh, led by Peter at the time, um, they were they were oppressed by the government and they were being told not to evangelize. But that's that's the mission, right? That's why we're here as God's people. And so in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And if you notice, it's that word rather than, right? It's rather. Um, that's when you, you can only choose one. Because for the most part, uh, submitting to the government is... Uh, is a good thing. Don't murder. Don't steal. Right. Don't uh, don't break into territory that you're not supposed. To, you don't trespass into areas that you're not supposed to go. That kind of stuff. Like these are things for your safety. These are things for your good. But uh, when you have to choose between obeying God or obeying men, then the priority ladder is very clear. You know, we must obey God rather than men. If you have to choose, if the two are not compatible, then. We obey God. That's how it works, right? And you have examples of this in the Bible. Um, Daniel in the uh, in the lion's den, right? He was thrown into the lion's den because uh, he wasn't following the uh, the government rule against prayer and all that kind of stuff. Um, you have Christian martyrs in history, right? They're uh, they're being killed for their faith, uh, and so you have Christians uh, throughout the New Testament era. They're running and they're hiding from the government that that wants to drag them away and kill them, Be- uh, but they're not. They're not defying the government violently, you know. They're they're obeying God, and then and then they'll hide. But they're they're not fighting. They're not resorting to violence and not doing stuff like that. So, uh, so when it comes to the issue of um, of our submission to the government, uh, should we obey the cops in situations like these? It seems as though the uh, the biblical pattern is yes, and suffer for doing good. Right, it's better to suffer unjustly rather than to uh, to willfully sin against the government 
out of outrage at the injustice, right? That because uh, that's that's what it seems like, and so uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean that uh, we can't do anything about it. We have everything within our legal rights to do our best to raise awareness about these issues, to vote for the right policies, and put the right people in, into positions of leadership, that kind of stuff. That's really where we want to go. We want to we want to use uh, the means that are available to us in submission to the government. But uh, we uh, we don't want to just look at some verses and and then ignore others, right? Uh, God is is pretty clear. Like even if your emperor is is nuts, right? Even if it's like North Korea, be subject to every human institution, whether to the governor, governor. Uh, I'm sorry, the emperor as supreme, or to governors as uh, as sent by him to punish those who do evil. Uh, you want to do that and. Don't resort to violence. Put put your sword back into its place, and then if you have to choose between uh, who to to obey God or men, then you obey God, right? So should we obey the cops? Yes, we should, and then we should do our best to raise awareness, all that kind of stuff. Um, what, what what would you do in situations like these? Does that mean that uh, for all the cases that we just discussed, um, the ones that that Chris explained to us, does that mean? That they were in the wrong for not uh, for not lying down and letting them the cops handcuff them and all that stuff. Well, uh, it depends if they're if they're believers, they're called to uh, to obey Jesus in uh, in these situations. If they're not believers, then they're running by their own code of conduct anyway. Uh, I'm sure that can go in plenty of other uh, directions, but uh, that then comes down to the issue of police force and how strong it should be. And so, do we? Do something about that. Do we defund the police, Chris? All right. So uh, before we talk about that specific uh, issue of defunding the police, let's first talk about how the police is currently funded. And so currently, uh, the police obviously is, is a publicly funded entity, which means that the funding comes from um, taxpayer dollars and federal grants. Um, another uh, resource that uh, the police use uh, is that they do accept private donations, which is a little controversial of whether that should be or not, but um, currently 9.2% of all American government expenditures are directed towards policing. So we're talking, you know, from the from the city level to the county to the state to the uh, federal government. 9.2% of all tax expenditures are directed towards policing. There are approximately 800,000 police officers in America, and the primary role of the police off police uh, is to enforce the law. Um, they take an oath to protect and to serve. However, the execution of this, uh, it can vary. There's a lot of different ways that protecting and serving and enforcing the law can be seen. However, it should be noted that the police uh, are not the uh, executioners. And what I mean by that is, is that every American uh, has the right to a fair uh, trial uh, a fair and speedy trial that is actually the sixth um, the sixth amendment in the Bill of Rights. And so um, there's the thing there where, I mean, unless it's, you know, uh, in the case of clear self-defense, uh, the police should not be circumventing the legal system and inf- and carrying out whatever they think is just unless it is um, justifiable by you know, means of the perpetrator being violent, causing other people's lives to be at risk and such. Now, um, I mean, again, I'm going to just repeat that. Uh, it is important for uh, convict 
even even if people are guilty, that they have the right to a fair and speedy trial in America. All right. So uh, there is a commonly proposed solution, as uh, Rand has um, mentioned, and that is a very uh, popular. Um, it has become a hashtag and everything. It's defund the police. However, even the term defund the police, uh, it is not agreed upon about what that actually means. You know, there are those who are actually taking it further and are saying actually abolish the police. Like all 800,000 of those police officers should not be police officers. Uh, the, the system itself uh, is inherently a, a corrupt and broken system. There are those that want to uh, redistribute some of the funding. So to allow for some of that uh, government expenditure to be to redirected away from the police and towards other services. There are also those who say that there should be an increase in funding the police specifically to further and more properly train the police officers that are out there. Now, all of these uh, possible solutions um, are, are popular in their own right. However, you know, it's not certain on which is the best, but what the thing that is clear, especially in this current climate, is that some kind of police reform is necessary. And so um, two of the places that have come into national attention as well uh, post these events have been uh, the cities of Seattle and Portland. Um, they have been in the news specifically because they have curbed their police response to the protests. Um, Seattle, uh, the thing that happened in um, downtown or a about a quarter of downtown is they created an autonomous zone and they said that the police are not allowed in this part of Seattle. And the government or the city of Seattle said, you know what, go ahead and, you know, let's see how it goes. Or they agreed not to enter and not to, uh, you know, conduct law enforcement in that area. Uh, in Portland, uh, the, the protests against uh, these um, police brutality cases have uh, erupted and has become violent. Um, it's gotten violent to the point where uh, President Trump actually deployed the National Guard into Portland. Um, and so branches of our military are actually trying to, quote unquote, establish law and order uh, in the city. And of course, there have been protests nationally. It's not simply, you know, in these two cities, but these are two where... Um, with the violence in these cities, uh, most people would agree that simply abolishing the police is probably not the most effective way uh, to, um, the, it's not the most effective method um, to go about police reforms. Uh, but the important thing is, is, as Christians, we want to be able to have a compassionate and biblically informed view of mercy and justice in regards to those who have had their lives taken if it was done in a way that is not right. Uh, and however, we also, as Rand said, want to stand against unbiblical resistance to government authority. And we want to be very careful as to not, you know, break any of those lines. We want to be compassionate to those who are hurting, but we also don't want to be unbiblically resistant to authority. Now, then the conversation will pivot a little to the idea of, well, then, Another big topic that is talked about today is systemic racism. You know, what is systemic racism? Is the entire system of our government and of um, the police system, is it racist? Uh, is there a bias and a bent towards treating certain people better and certain people worse? Now, 
Uh, before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about human nature. So this is something that um, I have noticed, but hopefully as I say these things, you guys will notice them as well. But uh, human beings, naturally, uh, we are very tribal. Uh, we want to belong to a, something bigger than ourselves. You know, that comes in a lot of ways. Uh, let's look at sports teams. You know, we want to be fans of, you know, the team that other people are fans of. Uh, the idea of school pride, uh, the idea of regionalism, being proud of the city you live in or the state you live in, um, you know, even being proud to be an American, watching the Olympics and cheering for America. There is a natural tendency to want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, but it even extends to things that seemingly are facetious, such as Myers-Briggs personalities. You know, how many times have you seen like articles, you know, based off, oh, you know, like, are you, uh, INTJ, are, you know, like, are you an ENFP? Like, those things are also, it caters to our desire to be a part of something bigger. Um, something like being sorted into a Hogwarts house. You know, we want to say, you know what? We are like these people and these are my people. Um, so yeah, because of everyone's natural tribal tendencies, one thing that we cannot ignore is that when it comes to race, there are obvious implicit biases in the ways we think about our group versus other group. Whatever, however you define our group versus other group, you know, whether that is specifically to your ethnicity, specific to your race, specific to whatever. These are, um, these are things that do cater to our human nature. Now, we want to talk about as well that even though these things are genuine and true, there is also a clear and obvious racist history of America. You know, um, things such as slavery, uh, redlining, segregation, these are all things that have occurred in our past, and these are things we cannot ignore, that we shouldn't ignore. You know, uh, redlining is the practice where um, the government and banks specifically, they would district certain parts of the city to be lower income, and higher income, and they would not allow uh, people of specific races into the higher income areas, even if they had the means uh, to pay for it. You know, they would not lend them uh, money for mortgages. And then segregation, the idea of separate but equal, uh, that was, you know, abolished and gotten, gotten rid of after the civil rights. Uh, but these things did occur, and they did play a part and were clearly established in a systematically racist way. However, today, with the rise of anti-prejudice laws, um, civil liberties, uh, racist policies uh, have been deemed unconstitutional. It is not constitutional or it is not legal to discriminate based on race, religion, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, uh, gender identification. It is not legal in the court of law to deny someone simply based off that and that alone. And so today, a lot of the systematically racist laws and policies that were um, taken by the courts and by banks and by school districts, they are actually no longer there. They're, they're illegal. However, is removing the racist law enough? Or does more need to be done by the government to reverse the years of racism and 
re-skew the balance uh, in the other direction. So what is like the right way to go about solving the systemic racism issue? And I guess in a bigger way, does systemic racism still exist today? Knowing that in the letter of the law, there are no racist policies and that discrimination is illegal and unconstitutional. Should more be done by the government today to go above and beyond just making things fair? This is the idea where last week we talked about equal opportunity versus equal outcome. Now, is it more right that everyone has fair playing ground and can do whatever uh, to do whatever they need to do? Or is it more right to make things a little more, quote unquote, fair and make the outcomes more equal? It's the idea of the, the boxes that we talked that we saw last week. And then, uh, so with this next breakout room that we're going to go into right now, this is the question we're going to kind of go into. So we'll do 15 minutes for this breakout room. But the big question is, is, well, one, is there systemic racism in the United States today? And if so, what does it look like if it still exists today? Uh, and how would you propose solving the idea of systemic racism today, knowing that it's not in the laws, but is it in the culture? Is it in the media? Is it in our upbringing? Is it in our friends and family? If it even exists today, how do you go about correcting it? So that is going to be uh, our next breakout room. Oh, so yeah, we're going to give you a little bit of time now to... Maybe jot down some of your thoughts, maybe 30 seconds or so. And then this next breakout room will be 15 minutes. Okay, so uh, welcome back. Uh, hopefully the discussions were good uh, and very uh, gracious and peaceable, even if you did not agree on things. So, okay, so I'm going to just real quick uh, mention just one thing in regards to what you guys just talked about and the idea of how to... Uh, go further than just uh, taking away those laws that are racist. Uh, something that is currently uh, being discussed and is actually one of the um, propositions in the California elections is the idea of affirmative action. Um, is it uh, right? Is it better? Um, is it fair to allow for more um, more people of uh, you know the ethnic minorities to uh, be admitted into the public schools uh, in the public universities in California, and we're talking about the Cal States and the UCs. Uh, is it um, all right if instead of strictly going based off of you know the application and the grades and the um, extracurriculars and the SAT scores, uh, is it okay to use race as one of the um, parts of the application? Uh, is that something that California should allow? That is something that us Californians will have to vote on in November. Um, another thing that I like to kind of think about, though, is, is the idea of uh, equal opportunity versus equal outcome. I am, I'm not endorsing either side as the more correct view of equality, but there are enough uh, things in terms of professions, in terms of opportunities, where there is a disparity based off races. And so what that leads us to ask is, is it right that every uh, profession, every job, every single title entity that is that exists in our state, let's say, or in our country, 
uh, demographically looks exactly like uh, the general population? And if so, does that mean that the NBA is inherently racist uh, for having a disproportionate amount of black athletes? So these are things to also talk about and think about when you are thinking about um, the equality question. Now, uh, one of the things that I'm going to close with today is um, the idea of allowing for the freedom of thought and how racism can even uh, sneak into the way we talk about race. Now, uh, I'm going to be doing so specifically with the idea of uh, reparations. Now, reparations have been uh, in the public discussion a lot more in these past 10 years. They've come, they've come back into this discussion. By reparations, we mean should uh, descendants of former uh, slaves be paid a, a specific amount by the U.S. government to um, apologize for uh, the fact that slavery happened to their ancestors. And now, uh, the thing that I want to talk about uh, specifically in regards to this is to make sure that, you know, we have to be gracious, as we always say, but we have to understand that simply saying that if you hold a specific view, you are racist, that is something that we want to avoid. We do not want to default into accusing the other people uh, that we're talking to of racism just on the way they think in this specific issue. Now, um, it may surprise you to know that in a poll last year nationally, that 30%, up to 30% of African Americans were actually not in favor of receiving reparations from the government. Now, if that statistic surprises you that 70% of the African community, African American community wants reparations and 30% doesn't, if that fact surprises you, it might be because you have some racial bias into, oh, a black person should think like this. And if they don't, then, you know, what's, what's going on? And so that's why I mentioned the idea that we want to allow for the freedom of thoughts and opinions and that we don't want to pigeonhole be someone just simply on the fact that they are a specific race, that that means that they must think like this or they must think like that. Now, obviously, there are strong arguments for reparations. You know, America has had a history of uh, offering reparations. Uh, they did so for the Japanese-Americans. Uh, who were interned uh, during World War II in 1988. They also provided reparations for Native Americans whose land was taken. We also did so for the Hawaiian Americans. So arguments for is, well, if that is the case, there's a precedent. Shouldn't there be reparations made you know, for slavery? There are also arguments against reparations, such that uh, if we have reparations paid, then that means that Slavery is, in a, in a way, legitimized as a transactional agreement and that um, the relationship between um, African-Americans and their descendants, that that's a done deal because we've received what was paid for and therefore it wasn't actually an injustice. And so there, there are reasons to believe that reparations are needed. There are reasons to believe that reparations might not be a good thing. But the important thing that we want to be cautious of is to not assume and not say that if you think one way, you are definitely a racist, or if you think the other way, you are definitely not a racist. And so that is the idea that we want to 
um, be aware of. E- even in our assumptions, we may actually be racist in the way we think. How do you um, think biblically through this topic? You know, how do you how do you approach this? Uh, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if uh, if there's like a a, a set of rules that we can go through. But I do think this, when, when we try to answer that question, is there systemic racism still in the United States of America today? Even though there are not any explicit laws that state very clearly a bias for or against someone based on race, even though that doesn't exist, is there systemic racism? Um, and when you try to answer that question, uh, a lot of times people will try to answer it using anecdotes. I know a guy who, you know, or I saw this happen on YouTube and, uh, something that we, uh, that we watched throughout, uh, this past summer on, uh, on the cases like, uh, the stuff with Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. We saw, uh, the news come out first and everybody formed an opinion and then news, uh, more information was given and then people started waffling back and forth. And there's a remark on that in Ephesians, just like, uh, you know, when it comes to the gospel, you should be built up, uh, well enough so that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, and if, if that's true of, of our grounding in the gospel that that kind of says something that like, uh, when you know, uh, or when, when you understand something well, it means you understand uh, a, a large amount of information about it. So it's not like the, the next thing that you hear convinces you and then makes you equivocate to one side or the other. Um, it wasn't just the cases that we brought up here. There, you know, um, there were a bunch of others that, that came out that, you know, that uh, people thought this was a, an act of, of racial racial violence against uh, someone else. And then it, it just turned out it wasn't. And, you know, people went back and forth as more information came out. And how quickly people formed their opinions, made very extreme and, and passionate statements about it, and then had to had to realize that, oh, I didn't know everything. And so we've got to be real careful not to, uh, to form staunch opinions with partial information. We have to be very careful to uh, to try to collect as much understanding as we can, uh, refrain from uh, from judgment, you know, uh, and and just try to understand the the whole body of information and not just be convinced by the most compelling stories. And yet, um, there are there are situations where uh, where in the United States of America, people might say that systemic racism exists indirectly. For instance. Uh, public schools are funded by their communities in part, right? And so when you have something like that, if uh, if your community is what funds your, your public school in that area, then that means that uh, the communities that have more money have more funding going to their school. And the communities with less money consequently have less uh, funding going to their school. Now, black communities are statistically much poorer than white communities. And so... Now the schools in black communities are getting much less funding. And so even though the law itself uh, does not explicitly state a racial bias, pragmatically it turns into uh, white schools have a lot more funding than black schools. And so that becomes uh, a, co- a, a topic of conversation. And your job as a, as a, a citizen in the United States of America is to figure out 
what's the best way to go about this and to, you know, to establish a society that uh, that's God honoring and, and is good for uh, for all people? Um, is it wrong to want your community to then fund your school? Because that's your community. You know, you you move into an area, you put money into into the community and and it funds the school. Is that wrong? Um is it wrong to to say that we should all have equal funding or, you know, it should be distributed a little more equally? You know, and you're going to get uh, opinions on both sides. Even if you're both Christian, uh, you you might find that you and the person you're talking to might disagree on how political decisions ought to be made. And so uh, we really come back full circle to what we're trying to do, which is uh, as we speak through these things to have a good uh, understanding of all the information, find a biblical way to uh, to uphold a love for God, a love for our neighbor, um, and to be able to articulate it, defend it, and even evaluate it and, and other, other positions, um, and to do it all with gentleness and respect, and then to do our best to form the best society using our rights as a citizen and as a voter, right? Keep an eye out online in our Facebook group then for uh, for information this week on how to register to vote and then uh, kind of the, the steps on how to vote, like, you know, where do you go and, and what do you do, all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll try to make it as easy as possible because the first time I did it, I had no idea what I was doing and Chris taught me kind of where to go and what to do. So uh, we'll try to make it super easy for all of you. Okay, let's close in prayer. Then we'll be done. Father, thank you that we get to uh, discuss difficult topics like this and we know that uh that it's a, a spectrum of opinions and uh, we're doing our best god to make sure that um that we are motivated not out of hatred uh for people but we we really want to fight against sin and we want to uh we want to uphold a love for you we want to uphold a love for uh for all the people in the united states of america we want to do our best to establish a society where uh, where the image of God is is valued and protected, and not uh, and and we don't have the land uh, fraught with injustice, and so we pray God that you would help us to temper our hearts in that direction, and not to uh, not to move toward action or uh, or dispositions inside us that uh, are motivated by hatred, um, but that we would be worshipful in what we do, that we'd be hum- humble and fearful. Um, of the Lord, just to, to, to stand in awe of you, uh, and to know that, uh, that you are God and then to do our best to, to honor you in how we establish our society. Bless your church, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen.